This is PT Pro Talk, the podcast for physical therapists who want to improve their clinical skills and be more successful. My name is Mariana Parks, physical therapist and your host. And today I interview Dr. Andrew Liu to talk about pain neuroscience education. In this episode, Dr. Liu discusses what pain neuroscience education is and how it started. He explores the evidence regarding PNE and examines whether it truly works. Additionally, Dr. Liu dives into whether PNE is solely education or if there is more to it, including insights on the PNE Plus movement and pain education for acute and preoperative pain. He also shares his thoughts on the future of PNE and provides valuable tips for clinicians. Throughout the conversation, Dr. Liu generously shares stories, metaphors, and examples that he uses to help patients understand why they experience pain. If you find these topics intriguing, stick around and enjoy the episode. Dr. Andrew Liu, our guest, is an accomplished physical therapist holding a PhD degree in pain neuroscience education. With 25 years of teaching experience, He is an adjunct faculty member at St. Ambrose University and the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, specializing in pain science. Adrian has authored over 100 peer-reviewed articles on spinal disorders and pain science. He currently serves as the director of the Therapeutic Neuroscience Research Group and holds key positions as senior faculty and pain science director at Evidence in Motion. I hope you enjoyed the show. PT ProTalk is only possible with the support of the forward-looking and innovative companies like Systems for PT, the do-anything, anytime EMR. Systems for PT develops systems for clinics so you can focus on your patients. Go to systemsforpt.com to schedule a demo today. Looking for the highest quality equipment for your clinic? Turn to Fitter first. Our wobble, rocker, and slant boards are all assembled in North America to meet the demands of a busy professional clinic. Designed to adjust in seconds and made from the highest quality materials. Get the best Canadian-made rehab and balance products for your clinic. Order online for your clinic or for your clients. Ground shipping anywhere in North America. Visit fitter1.com. That's F-I-T-T-E-R, the numeral one, dot com. Hi, Adrian. Welcome to PT Pro Talk. How are you doing today? Good. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking time to be here with us and talk about pain neuroscience education. So I'm excited to talk about it. And let's just get started talking a little bit about yourself, your background for the ones that don't know you. Um, Yeah, so easy background. I am from South Africa originally. I'm a physiotherapist in South Africa, but physical therapist in the United States. Came to America in 94, um, worked as an orthopedic outpatient therapist. kind of struggled treating people with complex pain or complicated patients. And, um, you know, life is funny. It took me down the path of pain, um, learning from very smart people. I had amazing mentors. And then um, just kind of got myself into the world of chronic pain and working with those patients. And, um, yeah, live in the United States, um, balance my time between research, between teaching, between traveling, between, um, yeah, mentoring, a lot of those kinds of things. Awesome. Uh, so 
tell us a little bit about what is pain neuroscience education and how did it start? <laughs> um, how did, well, yeah, how did it start? It's pretty simple. It's kind of exactly what I just said. Um, in the mid 1980s, um, early 90s, um, we did a lot of manual therapy, orthopedic manual therapy for people with back pain and neck pain, etc. But we started struggling to treat people with complex pain or, comp uh, you know, chronic pain, if you will. And there was a movement that developed for, um, you know, people like Louis Gifford, David Butler, sort of this whole model of teaching people more about pain. People want to learn more about pain. And then uh, once this concept came with the idea of, you know, we should teach people more about how pain works, um, then the research started taking off. But um, it started simply with the idea that we did not have the necessary tools. Um, and I would let me say at scale to help people with chronic pain. There were always therapists, small little pockets of therapists doing stuff for people with chronic pain. I don't want to negate that. But at scale for the profession to take it on, um, started about the late 80s, early 90s, and then uh, moved into more research. Awesome. And what is pain neuroscience education? In the most basic form, um, it basically just teaches people more about how pain works in the human body. Um, unfortunately, for the history of mankind, we've tied your tissue health to pain. So we've always said if you've got hurt, tissues are hurt or tissues have been injured, then you get pain. And if you've got pain, you must have bad tissues. We've tied those too long together. But pain is complex. Pain includes sensitization of the nervous system. The brain gets busier. Um, lots of other things happen. And we've just taken the science of it, the neuroscience of it, and we can sit with a patient in a clinical scenario and explain to them what's happened to them. Why, when you sprain your ankle and over time it does, the pain doesn't go away, well, your nervous system becomes sensitive. Oh, okay, did not know that. And we, you know, so we teach them more about how humans experience pain and the science behind it. And that we've just shown that it works. It, it, patients can take it on, they learn from it, and it actually improves their outcomes significantly. Awesome. And the evidence, what does the <laughs> evidence say about it? Does it work? Well, if, if I say no, are we done? Then I just go, <laughs> um, you know, of course it works, right? So, so I mean, you know, people give evidence-based practice, you know, has good and bad. We, we've had those conversations, but it's still the North Star, the thing we aim at. Um, as we're sitting today with this podcast, you know, there's uh, at least 18 systematic reviews or meta-analysis that says it works. That These are the highest forms of evidence we have. Um, it's not about me. It's not about what our team has done. There's a lot of people doing cool stuff. But um, we now know when a person walks into a clinic and we sit with him or her and teach them about pain, their life is better for it. And this has now been proven by huge clinical trials, long-term outcome trials. Um, and if we compare it to the effect sizes of some drugs we're using for chronic pain, it's actually even more effective than that. And so the evidence is actually pretty powerful right now if you look at it. Awesome. Really good. Um, and is it only about education? Or is it more to that? Yeah, it, it, it's definitely more, right? Um, again, I don't know what your audience is, and I always tell people I'm not a psychologist. Uh, not that I don't care for them. I mean, I, we work with them every day. I think the world of psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, etc. But I'm a physical therapist. And so for those of us that work in the movement field of physical, occupational therapy, athletic trainer, chiropractic, etc., um, education by itself is not powerful to change behavior. Um, otherwise, people won't smoke anymore because smoking causes cancer. And we print it on billboards and cigarette packages. So it's PE plus something else. And in therapy, it's movement. And so we've written quite a bit of research in the last five years to show 
education by itself isn't helpful. Yes, it reduces people's fear and catastrophization, but they still have to exercise, they still have to move, they still have to get on with their life, they still have to sleep better, eat healthier, all those uh, behavioral changes. So no, there's a huge shift, and I would like your audience to understand that we don't explain pain out of you. If I could do that, it'd be so easy, but it's not. I teach you about pain, and you, you become less afraid, so then you move more. What made you better? Movement. That's really what it is, yeah. And sometimes I just think it's hard to get the patients to move if they are so afraid and and yeah. all those misconceptions about movement. So we could say that it's like a facilitator to help the patients to yes. start moving again. Is it right? Absolutely, 100%. You, I could not summarize it any better because, yeah, people, when the evidence behind movement and pain is huge, it's, it's massive, but people in pain are afraid and they're nervous and they're anxious and they're fearful. PE just calms them down so they will move. And we can, we can, we can do that quite extensively with PE, yes. Yes, and then helps them to understand that pain doesn't mean damage and, and they, are, they don't have to be afraid of moving and, and making their situation worse, right? No, absolutely. But there's a little piece missing that I think people miss. They think, you know, a lot of people on social media will say, oh, all Adrian and his team does, they talk to people about pain. Um, I think people miss a part. You have no business teaching people about pain unless you've screened them. I mean, I'm not going to move somebody that has something wrong with them, so we have to physically make sure they're safe. So we do check the back and the neck and the knee and the shoulder. We check everything. We sure, you know what? Everything looks good. Now we can teach them about pain. Because the problem is if you teach people about pain, I mean, again, you've got to make sure they're safe. And so a lot of people think that's all we do. It's not. I, you know, I often tell my students that 90% of our patients are crying after the physical exam. And when I ask them why, they say, that's the most thorough medical exam I've had in 10 years. Um, because we do take our time to go through everything, make sure you're good. Now that we know you're safe, you can move. Now let's teach you about pain. But if you're not safe to move, we, we shouldn't move you and we should get some help for that. So it it is part of the bigger scheme of evaluating and then treating accordingly. Yeah. And who would you say they are good candidates for the, the P&E? Yeah, that's a big discussion going on right now in the pain world. But um, we've studied it quite extensively. If people want a list, they're simple. We have a list. Um, but it's a little more complex. So they, anybody with chronic pain, and when I say chronic pain, that is people with pain that has been long-term, right, six months or more, people with central sensitization where your nervous system becomes increasingly sensitive, right? Um, people with high fear, people with high catastrophization, they've got very bad beliefs about pain. And then finally, people that are ready to change. So uh, we catch people at different times of their journey when they walk into our clinics and apartments. And unfortunately, there's this percentage of them that are not ready to shift yet. Uh, we call them pre-contemplators. So they're, I'm only here so the doctor will give me my medicine. I'm only here because my, my job sent me here. They're not bad people. There's nothing wrong with them. They're just in a different part of their journey. They don't do as well with cognitive or thinking therapy, if you will. So for them, we do some very simple therapy. We treat them with respect and dignity. And then over time, they tend to shift and say, you know, they get interested in this stuff. But those are the ones. Um, on the flip side, you know, um, there is a belief that pain neuroscience education should go to every patient. It's the way we speak to people. It's not just a technique that I pull out and do a technique, but it's, we, we, we make people in general in therapy less fearful, less afraid of movement, those kind of things. But um, there are very definite people we can do it for, yes. And we see on our day-to-day -day, those patients that we can tell that 
It's just not the injury that's causing them the pain. And there is more behind that. And I feel like that's more and more common because of their healthcare journey. I don't know exactly, but I think it's less and less patients that are straightforward that we treat and they get better because that's at least my impression and how I feel because I feel it's way more complex. It's not like that straightforward. You have an injury, we rehab you, and then you're good. We have a lot of those patients that are very complicated and that we know that there is more to that. So do you feel like that that's becoming more and more common with the patients we see? Yeah, unfortunately, the bad news today is chronic pain rates are increasing. You know, um, for a little while there, there was a little bit of hope, but um, the COVID pandemic didn't help everything we've seen this past Monday. The NIH put out a big document about the chronic pain rates, and um, the rates are getting worse, unfortunately. So clinicians, healthcare providers will be seeing more. What's actually a little bit more troubling for us, in chronic pain, there's a subgroup called high-impact chronic pain that's really affecting. These are people that have pain every day, and those numbers are, have doubled in the last couple of years. Um, it, it wouldn't be a shock for us to know that. Um, so it gets tricky, but I, I, I want the clinicians to also carefully listen. Um, you know, if you think this is all that, especially young clinicians, I think, oh, geez, I should not be a physio anymore. I, I do this every day. It, it isn't. 80% of patients in outpatient orthopedic therapy in America are not that complex. The data, I can give you the research. It's only one in five that really fits in this final bucket, if you will, of central sensitization. So, you know, I tell therapists, most of your day shouldn't be that hard. They're ankle sprains, back pain, knee replacement. They, they're not complex. They're tissues. They're, they're bad tissues. They get better. You do rehab. Yes. Unless you work in chronic pain, unless you do what I do, right? Every day, this is all we do, and I don't, don't do that. Unless this is a thing you want to do. Um, the only the only thing that happens, unfortunately, the longer you practice, the more complex people you'll see because the, the feeling in the clinic would be that I don't know what to do with you, but look at Adrian over there. He's been here a long time. He probably knows. So we'll see him. So unfortunately, or fortunately, as you get a little bit older and more mature, you do see more complex patients. So your load will get a little bit more. Or if this is a thing you want to do, and some people do, this is what they, oh my gosh, I love this. I want to help people with chronic pain. But I don't want young, you know, I, I speak at a lot of schools, a lot of younger um, generation people and say, um, still 80% of your day-to-day -day patients shouldn't be that complex. It really mm -hmm. isn't. We have the data to prove it. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are, they are mental exhausting, right? At the end of the day, we're like, I don't know what to do with these people. So I don't know if people would like to see just chronic pain. You have to be really strong mentally to deal with them because I feel like you're just drained. Everything hurts. They can move. They can do anything. It's just like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. No, no, fair enough. Yes, I, I, we need to understand it does take a lot from us. That's why we, we, we pace ourselves accordingly, right? We make sure we don't see all those patients on the same day or uh, one after another after another. So there's strategies to do it. Um, I think as healthcare providers, we need to be healthy as well, right? So we need to make sure when it's lunchtime, we go for a walk. Uh, we take a little breathing, relaxing, whatever, between patients. But um, um, yeah, I, they are more challenging. Um, actually, if a lot of our pain folks would sit here today, say, for them, it's not challenging because they understand it. They're like, bring it in. This is what we do. Um, we see a very high percentage of people with complex regional pain syndrome, which is one of the hardest pain conditions. And for us, they're not challenging. They're, they're fun because we, we know this is what we do, right? So, so it can be trained. Um, it's, not, it, it's, it's not for everybody. I get it. 
And I feel like when you are teaching the patients, you have to bring them to a very practical situation, right? You're, you're, you're giving them all this education, but you need to apply to something because just the education itself, uh, it's probably not very interesting to them. And they were like, okay, what is in that for me? How do I apply that? Like, how that, does that help me, right? Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, actually, to be honest, we the opposite. We actually, our patients are very hungry for information. Right. They, they, you know, remember by the time they come see us with chronic pain, they've been everywhere. They've seen seven other physical therapists, three chiropractors, two doctors, this and this. And so they don't know what's going on. And if you sit with them and teach them how pain works, I, it still shocks me. When I turn to a person and say, has anybody explained to you why you hurt or why since you've had pain, when it's cold, you feel your knee, when you're stressed, you feel your shoulder? 99% said, no, nobody's ever explained that to me. And then when you explain it to them, they go, wow, that's real cool. Exactly. So um, they, they, they're not afraid of people that are pre-contemplators that don't want to hear it. We don't do this on them, as we said earlier. Um, but for most patients want to know what's going on. Why am I not getting any better? Uh, my neighbor is better, but I'm not better. What happened to me? Right? Those kinds of things happen. And, and we can explain it to them. Yeah. And I know you use a lot of stories, metaphors, examples. Do you have any tips um, to help our clinicians? Any like stories that you like in particular that you think would be helpful for the clinicians that are listening to us? Yeah, I mean, the, the number one story that's by far the most favorite by all patients is a sensitive alarm story. You know, the story is very simply that if you hurt, say, for example, you sprain your ankle. Um, if you sprain your ankle, yep, you did sprain your ankle, tissues do get injured, but they heal, they get better, right? As we move into therapy, whatever. But the nerves around your ankle, they ramp up. They work like an alarm. So they ramp up and they fire the alarm, ding, 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 and they say, go to therapy. So they can work with you, right? Um, what should happen as your tissues get better, so should your alarm calm down and life is good. We go back to playing basketball or whatever. But in some people, the alarm system ramps up, ding, 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 go get some help, but they never calm down. So you have an extra sensitive alarm. It's like a car alarm. When you touch the car, it goes off. It's too sensitive. So we need to work on strategies to calm your alarm system down. Now we talk about things like breathing, relaxation, movement, um, all those cool strategies. So um, anytime we have an injury, the nervous system ramps up to protect you. We just need to make sure we also turn that alarm down over time. Unfortunately, your ankle gets better. And you say, hey, my ankle's good, but I still hurt because your alarm is still sensitive. Oh, now how do we turn it down? Now that's the right question. And then you go through all the strategies in therapy we can do to do that. Okay. And you know that it's also the way that you speak with patients, that part of the education. Um, do you have any tips for us on that sense? Is there any language that you suggest that we should start using in general to, to help our patients? Yeah, I mean, this itself we can spend days talking about, but it's always the classic example, you know, listening to our patients, giving them opportunity to speak. Um, the, the, the easy answer today is stay away from words that harm. There are words that harm in therapy, torn, ripped, rupture, bulge, herniate. We have bad words in our language. And then using softer words like, you, you know, sensitivity, um, sprain, strain, they, they've been studied quite extensively. Um, but we know that reassurance is very analgesic. Um, you're going to be okay. There's lots you can do, giving them hope. The most powerful thing you can do for a person in pain is to give them hope. You mean I can get better? Absolutely. And give them timelines. So, so we typically answer four things for them. We explain to them what's wrong with them so they understand what's going on. We give them a prognosis, a timeline. 
I'm going to see you twice a week. This is how long the therapy session lasts. I'm going to be doing all the school stuff. And in three weeks, you're going to be here. Then we teach them things they can do. So they empower, we empower them. You need to do this and this at home. And this is what we're going to do to make the unknowns known to them. Like, okay, I know what's going on. Good. Now we, we can go. Um, there's a, there was a beautiful paper um, in Journal of Orthopedic and Sports PT, I think it's 2019, called Sticks and Stones, if anybody want to look it up. That has a beautiful, those two authors did a great job where they have scaly words that we use and words next to it you can use instead, um, which I think is beautiful. If we can clean up our language a little bit in day-to-day practice, it'll be very good. Yeah. Great. Great tips. And techniques are anything that you suggest to help, like we use with our patients to help their nervous system come come down? Yeah. The, <laughs> again, I don't know how long your podcast is. These there's 22 different things we've measured that therapists do every day in, in clinic that calms the nervous system down. Um, the most powerful things is movement, um, by far, movement. And there's different kinds of movement. Aerobic exercise seems to be by far the best. There's some good research behind isometric exercise that calms the nervous system down. Um, the things that come to mind for a lot of therapists would be things like breathing, relaxation, uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction, sleep, nutrition. Um, there's, the list goes on and on and on, but there's so many cool things to do. Um, but, but those would be the ones I'd probably put at top of the list. But movement, because we're movement therapists, right? We do movement. Mm-hmm. Movement, um, even though they hurt, if you want movement, sorry, a pain that is understood is not to be feared. If I, if I move, but I hurt, but I know what's going on, this is the guy with a funny accent explained it to me, um, I'm going to be okay. So I'm sore, I'm safe. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I heard, but it's not harm. So, so we coach them through it. And once they move, we can move it more and more and more over time. Yeah. And where PTs can find that list? Do you have that available or is it public information? Yeah, I can send it. It's, it's all over everywhere, but I can obviously okay. send it. But it's, it's, yeah, there's this, this, and, and it's just something we came up with a couple of years ago and, um, the list would probably now get bigger and bigger, but there's. There's so many things we do every day that calms the nervous system. And a lot of it is intuitive, mm-hmm. you know, breathing as an example, just being mindful, um, sleep. There's a ton of research coming through on sleep. I, I've always said, if you can get a person with chronic pain to get some sleep, good sleep, game over. It's, it's a little harder than that, but, it, but that's what it is. Um, you know, all the movement-based stuff we can do from, you know, all different kinds of movement, yoga, Pilates, Feldenkrais, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. Awesome. And I saw like your website, Why You Hurt. You have a lot of resources there. It's really good. Yeah, that's a, and it's a free website. We just, we, I just get so many emails from people that I probably should have decided to create the website, say, hey, people can go there and whatever they want. Um, there's a lot of videos that you can send to your patient to say, hey, watch mm-hmm. this, read through this. Um, so yeah, those kinds of things. Are you on have there. examples of like stories, like you talking to the patient. I think it was very, it's very helpful. Uh, for the ones that are starting and want to learn more about it, I highly recommend. It's very simple, easy to to grasp all the information. The videos are short. You have a lot of great resources there, so it's really good. So I know that um, original research, it was more about chronic pain, right? We were talking uh, a little bit about that before the podcast, and you said now there is a movement talking more about pain education. So would you explain us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, the original research for p was for, for chronic pain, and that was why the design, we just talked about it, chronic pain is complex. 
Um, but remember, um, people in chronic pain often start in acute pain or they start in subacute pain or even shorter pain. So in the last you know, five years, we've done a lot of research to basically start teaching people more about pain earlier on. And the interesting thing, and I would love for your audience to know, is that, that pain neuroscience education works for acute pain. That if people walk in with acute pain, but they get a high fear, they do great. Uh, we have done PE for people before surgery, for knee replacements, uh, before lumbar surgery, shoulder surgery, and do great afterwards. Um, you know, we've built a middle school program for middle school kids on PE that they learn about in the school, and they do great during the school year. So, so don't be, don't think of PE just as something for well, now that somebody's chronic like that, I don't know what to do anymore. Now let's go pull that out. It's it's early education. The best way to treat chronic pain is to prevent it. And so we, we always start them early and, and teach them about it, yeah. Do you notice any difference on, like, effectiveness of using in acute pain versus chronic pain? Yeah, it's a little harder. I mean, um, in the uh, the acute stuff is early. I only, there's, um, is early in the research world. Um, we did, just did a study on acute low back pain um, on 80 patients. And, um, I mean, one in four is significantly improved. So the numbers needed to treat. Um, which is slightly lower than what we see in chronic pain, um, which is interesting, but it's still pretty, it's, that's still very effective. Most drug companies would give anything for a one to four ratio of success. Um, so yeah, it's early, but I mean, we, knee replacements, we showed people use 30% less, um, narcotics post-op after knee replacement, getting PE versus not getting PE. Um, lots of different things. So the, the, the body of evidence is definitely growing, um, and getting there. Yeah. And that would be probably very helpful for our healthcare, all healthcare professionals, right? Like, even when the, 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 the patient starts the journey with the doctor, it would be great if the doctor was speaking on the same language so they are not also reinforcing that fear on the patient. Absolutely. You know, one of the neatest things we're seeing is PE was designed by therapists for therapists, but we're finding more doctors are coming to the courses, more nurses, more nurse practitioners, PAs. We teach in medical schools now these things, and it is so beautiful when that doctor explains how pain works. And they say, now go to the therapist, and now you speak the same language, right? So, so yes, it's it's definitely, um, it, it, it's very heartwarming to see that all medical providers are taking it on. Very nice. And you said that also PT schools, they are, um, it's becoming mandated, right? Correct. It is now part of CAPTI. So CAPTI, that sets up PT curriculums, have adapted it. And it now has to be part of the PT schools. Um, on the OT side, they're doing the same thing now as well. So um, absolutely, it, it is very exciting for us to be able to, to see this, yeah. Awesome. And how, how do you see the future? Do you feel like at some point that would be in all healthcare providers, education process? Like, what do you think? Oh, yeah, now you're talking about a dream, right? Um, sure, sir. Yeah, I think so. I, I've seen it. I've been around for a long time. Um, from where we started to where we are today, if we could be, I mean, yeah, I, I do believe it. But it's not just that. It's society. If society can see pain different, that's our patients, the general public or whatever. But um, absolutely, it, it, it's definitely just becoming one of those things. It's, uh, the long story short is it's not a, it's not a fad. You know, we, we, in therapy, we go through phases. We, a lot of people do manual therapy. Then they do dry mm-hmm. needling and whatever. Pain science has just had this steady climb because it's not a technique. It is an approach to people in pain. So, um, yeah, I'm not, why not? I like to dream. Why not? 
And it's something that you can use in all areas, right? You don't have to use just on the outpatient setting. In, in, you can you can use all over. Yeah, we we we, have, we are expanding heavily. Into it. We just published a paper in acute care setting with an with occupational therapy. We've done it in the military. Um, I'm traveling to a lot of professional sports teams right now, talking about pain. Um, so everywhere, neuro, oncology, um, the list goes on and on and on. Pain is everywhere, and we should be t treating it everywhere and addressing it everywhere. Yes. And for the PTs that want to start using, or wanna, they want to learn more about that, what do you suggest them to do or start doing? Um, well, if they're in school, obviously they're going to get it in school. Uh, we speak a lot of different conferences like CSM and all those big PT, OT conferences, etc. Um, articles, just reading some articles, go to a course, learn about that. Just, you know, talk to therapists that are doing it. Um, there's a lot of it out there, um, you know, short of telling people, you know, go, go, just go read articles or talk to people, ask, email us. We'll send you some papers to read. Go to the website, whyyouheard.com, look at it a little bit more. It's just more of that. Just, just you know, if it's something that's interests you, um, there's just so many resources out there for it anymore. And I heard you saying before to get really good at the stories and then make them your own and adapt to your patients. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, kind of study those stories. A absolutely. You know, we build stories. We've, we've built 48 different ones for different research projects. But I always tell people, listen to the story and then make it your story. Stories are different for different people. And so, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's beautiful when we sit with our students and they tell their version of the story, like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like, yeah, that's cool. I can do that. So, yeah, whatever translates. And I also saw that you send them home with some homework. So how does, that, how, how does that work, that homework for the patients? Yeah, so in, in, in therapy, we're very good at giving people physical homework, right? Go home and do your stretches or your exercise. But we're not very good at giving people thinking homework or cognitive homework. So Every patient that we work with, we send them homework, thinking homework. It could be as simple as reflecting or thinking back on what, we, what I taught you today and come back with questions. But we give them a specific little task, um, and they tie it to some of these stories. Now that I taught you this, go home and think about it and write them down and come back. So they have to learn through the process. We give them little things to read. Maybe some of those little videos, we, we, text, we email it to them or text it and watch this video again, come back with questions, those kinds of things. But you have to learn. And occupational therapy, as an example, has been ahead of us in that game by far, and, they, and they, they're amazing. Um, nursing has been ahead of us in that field, but we got to do more thinking homework as well with our patients. Yeah, and I like that you also mentioned, like in one of your videos that I watched, like some things that the patients say, and then you connect that to like a different story. So like the pain is spreading, then you, you talk about the nosy neighbor, right? So I really like that. It's very practical. So let us know, like, kind of like, because sometimes you think like, okay, how do we start? Like, how do we um, start implementing this with our patients without making like a lecture? So you kind of like pay attention to those things that they say and you take, a, take advantage of that and, and use that as a teaching moment. And you know how to connect to the right story, right? Absolutely, because it's it's about the patient, not about us. So yeah, we've got stories, but the story must make sense to the patient. So um, we have studied extensively what are the things people struggle with pain, like spreading pain, like persistent pain, um, pain when it's cold out, I feel my knee, when I'm stressed, I feel my shoulder. And for each of those, we build stories. So when a patient comes in, I may ask him, you know, since you develop pain, what's the biggest thing that bugs you? Well, since I develop pain, I'm tired all the time, Adrian. I don't know what to do. I'm so tired. 
well, there's a story for that. So then we pull that story in and we use that to explain to them why they are tired. And like, wow, that makes sense. So you apply it to their condition. And so, yeah, for the therapist, it's as simple as you got to learn the stories, um, not because they're our stories, but it's just, it, we've just found a way that it works. And, um, and then hopefully as you learn the story, you say, well, I don't like Adrian's story, but I like my version of Adrian's story. And that's fine. It doesn't bother me. Um, it's pretty cool. I want people to do that anyway. So, um, it's just making it simple so the patient can grasp it, right? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> no, they have, yeah, they have to. I mean, if they don't get it, then it's, it's yeah. useless. Right? And, so, and everybody, we meet people at different parts of the journey. We meet people at different levels. You, don't, you cannot explain pain to a doctor as a patient. If a doctor is your patient, you've got to teach them different than you have to teach somebody else right because you have to meet people where they are is, is a big part of it as well um, yeah, yeah yeah absolutely would you just tell us about the brain meeting story really quick oh the brain meeting <laughs> yeah be careful of this one because um the, the biggest problem unfortunately people often jump to the conclusion oh you think it's in my head and so this story tends to we typically tell this story a little bit later once we've created a relationship the person knows we're there but the brain meeting story is pretty simple. It's, um, you know, when patients come in and I ask them, what's the biggest thing that bothers you? You know, since they develop pain, I forget things. They, they forget. Or they have the fog. They, they cannot focus. They get, their brain gets tired. So we just tell them that, you know, um, when you close your eyes and you think about your grandma, your whole brain gets busy. There's not just one granny area. You, you can remember grandma. You can see her. You can smell her. You, you have feelings for her. So your whole brain talks to each other. If I can reach in your head, that's a meeting. There's a meeting. Your brain is a meeting. And then today they're meeting about grandma. Well, pain's the same thing. If I punch you in the arm, multiple areas will meet. And when an area of your body is in a pain meeting, then its original job cannot be done well. So if I ask you to raise your arm, you raise your arm. But if the movement department is today in the pain meeting, then what suffers? Movement. So now you move your arm funny because is there something wrong with you? Nope. Are you trying to be lazy? No. Are you a bad patient? No. It just means the part of your brain that deals with movement is in a pain meeting today. Um, the memory department does it, so we forget things a little bit more. Uh, the focus department's there, so we cannot. We get a little bit tired. Is there something wrong with your brain? No. Your brain's just busy with pain, so I'm going to teach you about pain. And when you learn about pain, the brain's going to go, I got it. I got the funny accent explain it. You guys can go back to your normal job. And now your arm raises again, so it, it gets a little bit worse, but it doesn't mean there's something wrong. Your brain's just busy. And that's normal. It happens in all of us. But we just now need to teach you about pain so your brain can go back to what it's typically doing. That's really what it is. Um, yeah. And awesome. it, it sounds silly, but it works. <laughs> and no, it, it doesn't. It's really helpful. That's why I okay. ask you to just uh, tell us this story because I want our listeners to just um, have an idea of how do you explain to make them curious to go see the other stars because I think it's a it's a fantastic way to talk to our patients and, and make them understand. So I appreciate your creativity. Sure. <laughs> um, so before we transition to the final questions, is there anything else that you want to add um, about everything that we just talked? No, not really. I mean, I mean it, we've covered pretty much everything. There's, there's just a body of evidence growing and um, again, I just encourage people to be open-minded. The research is out there. You know, as I always tell people, okay, you don't like PE, that's fine. But what's the alternative? More needles, more drugs, more surgery, more injections, more opioids. The answer is no. We've got to do something. So 
you know, I get it. Not everybody likes B&E. There's a lot of people fighting with it, but the, the body of evidence is growing. We should be proud of it, regardless who's doing it. Um, there's a group of people in the world doing some amazing research, helping people with chronic pain and, um, yeah, just be open-minded to what's happening out there. Yeah, I just think we are um, trained to help people mechanically, manual therapy. And I think it's just a great tool because sometimes that's not enough to help our patients. And we know that in our experience, that's not as simple as just treating the patient. Sometimes we need more. And I think that's a great tool that we can use with our treatment to help the patients that are a little more complex. Um, so what is your favorite resource of information? So I know you wrote some books and, and things to help patients and clinicians, but what, what do you recommend our listeners um, to go to? I, I really, you know, the, the, the Why You Hurt website, is, because it's all free. I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. We created it just exactly for that. So we'll grab a nice cup of coffee, sit down, watch a couple of videos. There's other links to it. Yeah, surely it's by our publisher. And if there's a book or two you're interested, that's fine. Um, but I, I would literally just go start there. You can go, there, there's all kinds of stuff out there, but, um, um, I always encourage people to do this stuff. It's free and go look at that and see if there's anything that excites you. Tons of research out there, um, articles, et cetera. Uh, if you just, if you went into PubMed or anywhere, you type in pain neuroscience education and filter it by, you know, um, open access papers, tons of papers they can download that's available. Yeah. Awesome. And what would be the best advice you give to the clinicians that are starting their careers? Oh, <laughs> um, my best advice I will give people is to say yes. Um, the best things that have happened to me clinically and in my life in general has been because I've said yes. Um, you, you're going to, as you work through your life, be it professional, all kinds of things happen to you. Opportunities will come. You know, that, that surgeon that you talk to and he's like, hey, you want to come watch a knee replacement? Say yes. Just go do it. Just whatever. Your boss says, hey, we got a special project coming up. I need somebody to volunteer. Yep, put me in. I know, you know, unfortunately, on the younger generation, there's a lot of load schools. They come out, you know, all these things. But um, the best thing that's happened to me in my life is, is literally saying yes. I've been invited. People say, hey, we need to be a task force. Come do this. Come be in a meeting. And that's where things happen to me. So, so be open to things, be open to suggestions, you know, um, that's what I would encourage people. There's so many opportunities and so many things that happen around you, um, you know, just say yes and say, well, I'll give it a go and try it out. So you'll never know what's going to happen. It may be a new opportunity coming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and what personal qualities or abilities that you think are important to become a successful PT? Uh, well, the good news is it takes different kinds of people to be PTs. So there's not one kind, right? Some people are introverted. Some people are extroverted. Some people, it, there's all different kinds of us. And in different scenarios with, with all the different different realms of where we can practice. Um, you know, as, as, I get, as I get older, um, I think obviously it's the stuff with compassion, empathy, respect, and dignity. Um, it doesn't come intuitive early on. I was a very aggressive orthopedic manual therapist. Everything was very black and white. Um, there was no gray area. Um, I didn't really care what people were thinking. I didn't care what patients were thinking. It was, I had a technique, lay down, I'm going to do it to you. Now, as I'm getting older, I'm like, you know, obviously, that was not the best way. Um, yeah, I, it, it's hard. It's a really hard question because um, I think it depends what you do and where you practice. Um if you're an orthopedic manual therapist at the highest level, there's got to be a little bit of level of, let's call it arrogance. That's okay, because you have to know your thing to manipulate the upper cervical spine. If you work in different environments, you need different skill sets. So 
I think that what the easy answer today is, I, it, I, I don't want to put us in one bucket. I think it is such a beautiful spread that if you find yourself, hey, I'm very introverted, there's great places in therapy for that. And I'm very extroverted. Well, there's great places. I'm very compassionate. I'm a little more quiet, whatever. I think that's what makes therapy beautiful. There's so many places um, for you to fit with whatever your skill set and your, you know, your strengths and weaknesses are. It's funny how we change over time, right? You have to be flexible. You start one way and you think that's the technique is the best and you're going to do it all your patients. And then suddenly you start seeing that's not 100% like you said, black and white. So how things change and evolve over time. And that's great. Yeah. Okay, Adrian, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and taking the time out of your busy schedule to be here and, and teach us a little bit more about PE. So if people want to learn more about you or your work, is there any way they can contact you or find you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I work at Evidence in Motion, and if they just go to our website, they can easily find me, just type my name in there, and uh, happy, to help, happy to help people if they want to email, ask questions. Um, we work with a lot of people every year. Um, and yeah, as far as resources, they can definitely go look at the Why Heard website as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. That's all for today's episode of PT Pro Talk. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you can be notified when we release future episodes. You can also join our email list to receive updates and new episodes at ptprotalk.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a rating or review and share with other clinicians you think might benefit from this conversation. We are always working to deliver you a better show and would love to hear your thoughts. If you have a moment, please help us by answering a quick survey and let us know what topics and people you'd like to hear, things you like about the show, and how we can improve. Thank you all of you who have already responded to the survey. It is very helpful. Also, on the show notes, you can find the guest's contact information and favorite resources, links for the survey, our social media, YouTube channel, where you can watch the whole episode, and our website, where you can find more information about the podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time.